Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. We're using the same data from Facebook and everyone else that our big competitors are as well. I wanted to get first-party data so we could be unique with creating lookalike audiences or our own customer segments to really be nimble. I Instead of fishing in the giant ocean, give me 100 niche barrels that we can fish out of and win there. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Sarah Hopstetter, president of Profitero. And I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. So Sarah, the more guests that we have, the more similarities we both realize that this wave of e-com in terms of education, adoption, operations is so analogous to where you and I were a decade ago at the front lines of social. It's incredibly true. There's like this delta between where consumer behavior is and where marketer adoption is. And that is exactly what we were going through gosh, a little more than a decade ago as social was taking off. And it was beyond just what the kids were doing these days, right? Mm -hmm. Meerkat. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, I'm curious, you know, I was agency side when I first started, and this is like 2008, 2009, 2010. And then I went brand side in 2011. How did you approach education? Frankly, it was a huge new business driver. Um, But uh, the education component was a really big part of how we would work with our day-to-day clients and try to get um, social better understood. Because even though social media was going more mainstream, the most senior executives would still be like, oh, though I I learned all about social media from my teenage kids. And that was like never practical. And so they still looked at social media as like matching luggage to a 30-second spot. And some people might be listening and saying, that's ridiculous. That that must have been happening in the 80s. And it's like, no, no, no. That was like around the same time that the iPhone launched, <laughs> like some context here. So the, the learning agenda becomes very important. And even though we're in a virtual world today, even when we would go in and show up and do these 101s or these desk side trainings, it could still come off as incredibly boring and exhausting, no matter how exciting the topic is. What, what, what did you see? I'm thinking as you're talking, I feel that one of the reasons why I've been able to move through my career pretty quickly, and I think about my peers who also have done the same, it's because we've been great educators. Like It just comes down to that. It's good. It's so true. It was actually funny. I was thinking about this relatively recently. One thing that I remember doing in 2014, and this actually was about e-commerce. We were talking about like emerging forms of media with a very large CPG. And we had done like one of those junkets where we went out to the Silicon Valley and we took the clients to like Google and Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and blah, blah, blah. Yep. Yep. And, you know, everybody was so excited to shake Cheryl's hand and all that other stuff. But 
Then we all went into a big ballroom at like the St. Regis in San Francisco. And we told everybody in the room that we're not providing any food. And that the only way that they could get... Is this the fire festival? (laughs) We told them the only way that they could get food is if they ordered it on Instacart. And they were like, Insta what? Is that that like Instagram? Like, no, 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 Instacart. This is the... you're, You're all getting 20 bucks. And if you want snacks this afternoon or caffeine this afternoon, you're going to have to order it on Instacart. And we walked around, we gave them all like codes to go do it. And they were like presidents of like multi-billion dollar business units. It goes to that like Confucius quote of like, involve me and I will understand. I mean, that literally was my entire life that you're describing from 2009 to 2014, except it was with Facebook ads. My whole thing was give people 500 bucks teach them how to buy Facebook ads, and they will start to understand paid social. That's a great point. I had an employee once who used paid social and paid Facebook ads to nominate one of his employees for employee of the month. Oh, love that. And so he did a geofenced Facebook ad. That's great. I was like, it's freaking genius. Yeah. Where's that person today? He's running an ad agency. Oh, good for him. Yeah. Well, All this talk about over a decade ago, fast forward, here we are. And all of a sudden, the way that we're seeing brands learn e-commerce is the exact same. Very much. And just like it was a decade ago, some are doing it better than others. But you know who's doing it really well? I don't know. Who? Who's doing it really well, Rachel? Is our friend, Todd, who leads e-commerce at Simple Mills, which I know you love because it's kosher. (laughs) I, I, do, I do have a limited palette, <laughs> but no, products are damn good. No question. Yeah, damn good. And Todd is just so enthusiastic about e-commerce. He has a thirst to continue to understand it and to educate others. But I think the most beautiful thing about his approach is that he has no ego about it. He literally is ghostwriting emails for other colleagues and other teams to empower them with e-commerce knowledge. There's something very special about that and the democratization of knowledge. There are plenty of leaders of, uh, you know, centers of excellence that where they think knowledge is power, so they, they hug it all themselves, but he democratizes it. He shines a light. And I think he's a really great example of what a lot of other folks in e-commerce can and should be doing to bring their companies along on the journey. Well, on that note, let's bring Todd onto the show. Todd, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. No, thank you. It's truly an honor to be on the Brave Commerce podcast. I have listened to so many of the 40 plus episodes. Sarah and Rachel, what you're doing for the e-commerce community and just business leaders in general, bringing on such fabulous guests and from wonderful companies and having them share both their professional and and a lot of times personal stories has been fantastic. So I'm I'm honored to be here today to uh, to share my story. Well, thank you. We're thrilled that you agreed to do this. But what the rest of you folks can't see is that Todd, for those of you who have been fortunate enough to be on multiple Zooms with him over the course of this lovely pandemic lockdown, is that he has created a special Zoom background for Brave Commerce and thankfully without our headshots so that we don't have to look at ourselves twice. So Todd, that is a a nice touch. And I almost wish we were video recording today just so that other folks could see this. So we're going to kick off today kind of talking about the typecasting of people in e-commerce, if you will. I find that there are like two kinds of people in e-commerce. There are those who have been in e-commerce their whole careers, 
kind of more in the bits and bytes of it all and have been advancing on that maturity curve of nuances and knowledge and all that other fun stuff for the multiple decades that e-commerce has been a thing. And then there are those who have seen the world through the eyes of a brick and mortar marketer, but have both the curiosity and the bias to action to affect the change. And most people probably don't realize that when they read so much of your thought leadership, but you're actually more of the latter than the former, which is puts you in a really interesting role of being both a master translator of brick and commerce, of brick and commerce, of brick and mortar to e-commerce and Omni, but also probably just knowing you a little bit, one who provokes action. And I think many of our listeners are always straddling those things. Let's just start out with a little bit of advice. What advice would you give on on how to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I am lucky enough to have an e-commerce journey, but a long brick and mortar career as well. And when I started my e-commerce journey and wanted to get into this, I figured I might as well start now with no experience and, and hopefully get a shot because maybe five years from now I won't. And, and I have to thank Matt Goodson. He was a one-person crew running an Amazon business at my last company, and he needed someone quick to come on and help him with Amazon and do e-commerce. And he picked a brick and mortar guy. Uh, I told him on paper it was a terrible decision, but uh, I was so appreciative of it. And that motivated me to learn fast. And I knew I knew brick and mortar. I had, you know, been in sales as well as marketing side. But I think what you want to do when you're looking at brick and mortar and e-commerce and translating that, one, start with the consumer. That's where it starts. They're looking at this from both, you know, they're shopping in-store and shopping online. So when you start with the consumer, you can really see, don't get too hung up on channel shift and spend so much time trying to figure out, well, is this is this new to brand? Are these new customers? Are they shifting from brick and mortar? Focus more on the speed and customer satisfaction. And if you can get your organization to look at it that way, you'll be able to more read and react versus paralysis analysis, trying to figure out what's channel shift or not. And if you can read and react and explain, you know, people will ask, what's the biggest difference between brick and mortar and e-commerce? I think it's the speed of both the threats and the opportunities. And so if you can convince leadership and people you work with, test and learn is okay. And we're going to fail a couple of times, but we're going to learn a lot too. And if you do that, then you kind of get this mindset shift, right? And then once you start getting people thinking about it a little bit differently and change those mindsets, start translating for them. A lot of people may not know the difference between a sponsored brand and a sponsored product, but yet you're asking for massive amounts of investment. So translate those things to where like, retargeting is like a billboard, maybe sponsored products or a headline ad is like a window banner sign. A sponsored product is like an end cap um, or an off shelf. And if you can kind of explain these in a brick and mortar world and then show them visually, it can help them understand what they're investing in, why it's important, and then show the metrics, what's working, what's not, why this is important. And it's also a bigger impact. I think a lot of times when you look at brick and mortar, it's either a halo or a hangover effect after you do a sale. And in e-commerce, while brick and mortar, you know, running a promotion is maybe the top way of growing the business. In e-commerce, you got to attract the algorithm first before you even get a human. So you have to explain the search and content and everything. But as you start to narrow those down, take the complex and make it simple, they understand the investment and then they feel better. And it's great when they start looking on site and see a sponsored and don't click on the sponsored ad and they look at organic rankings, 
it's perfect. So it's really that translation and just changing the mindset for everyone in the organization. Todd, I feel like you just described someone's job in a five-year period in CPG where every single day they're just trying to explain e-com to their colleagues. You know, if last year showed us anything, we kind of have to move past education and start operationalizing e-commerce. So curious how you've approached how to operationalize e-commerce in an organization that might have spent most of their time thinking about operations from a brick and mortar standpoint. Yeah. I think one, you start with your own team, what you can control, right? And bringing on people when you hire or, or bring someone on from a different apartment, a d- different department, really look at, are they curious and are they learners? You know, and ask those things in the interview. And I don't think it's a typecast over people that I've had different teams. Their majors have been theater, apparel, biology, philosophy, and then global business. So I think one is, you know, just getting that, that kind of mindset of your team uh, to be curious and learners. But I think that internally, you know, one thing is gamifying it. Again, you know, great leaders take complex things, make it simple. E-commerce can have a stigma. Sometimes people feel that they may not want to learn it or it's so far ahead, they're not going to catch up. So if you can kind of make it in bite-sized bits and gamify it in a way we do that, you know, that I do that at Simple Mills is we use, I use Slack and I put something in Slack, you know, almost every morning and just like, did you know, or pop quiz, or what are your thoughts and have kind of a key fact um, or something that we're, if you can tie it into something that's coming up that you're going to be presenting or something that's talked about in the news, even better, but you put it in there and say, what do you think? What are the top three advertisers? You know, how important is search? What what percent of sales come from search on Amazon or Instacart? When you start to gamify it, kind of just put it in bite-sized pieces and make it fun, people start responding more than they may in email or or just uh you know talking to them in a meeting. So that's one way. I think another way Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Before you go further, what are the prizes? That's a great thing. I haven't had to give away a prize yet. It's it's I, I congratulate close guesses or spot on guesses. Um I haven't had to um go to, uh, you know, getting funding for this yet, either personally or professionally. I just keep it fun and I use images. There's some really sweet Micmac swag and I'll volunteer some Profitero swag as well. I love it. I'll take it. I think that we got to up the ante on gamification. Rachel, you in? I'm in, but I also appreciate the fact that Todd doesn't have to bribe his employees the way that maybe we do. (laughs) I think all of my employees should be listening to this and... (laughs) Also, I have to stop thinking about all the bribing I'm doing. I know. We give away Peloton bikes at Micmac. So clearly I've done something wrong. I think clearly I have to come work for Micmac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to, to question your flow or create a Pavlovian behavior that now people will think they're getting swag. So please, as you were. <laughs> I think when, once people hear this, then I, I will need some of that swag you guys are promising. So I'm in. That's great. But I think what's what's exciting is, I mean, even when you're like a little kid, you want achievement and you knock over blocks. I, I think what happens is even if people don't respond, if they're looking at it, they feel they can, they're learning, right? And I've done this either through LinkedIn or, you know, Yammer or Slack, depending where I'm at. And I call it just on-demand learning. And, and maybe I post 20 things and someone looks at the 21st and then starts catching up or reading about it and they can go back. I just think it's not about instant gratification, right? You're, you're going to have to have such different levels of where you're at as an e-commerce leader. Yourself, you have to be 
really curious and looking far ahead for the organization. You have to be visionary to keep up what's new. But then in, in the moment, you have to be very executional and keep up and making sure what you've promised to do that you're executing. But then also the key thing is being humble and being, you know, okay with going backwards sometimes for people that want to catch up and want to learn and go back. And then you also have to make sure you don't have like, I think Sarah, you quoted this like expertitis, but that you can explain it to someone who does want to learn. So you have to be like in four different, you know, mindsets sometimes, even within a day. But I think it's worth it. The more that you get people on board, the better. And then I think you look at, this should be for all departments, but e-commerce has really shown kind of knocking down any barriers or silos between departments. And you usually can find at least one person in each department that is curious, wants to learn about e-commerce and bring them along and give them ways to win within their own team, right? Give them the information. I love ghostwriting for people or giving them the information so that they can look really great in a meeting, whether I'm there or not. I don't want the credit. Like, that's fine. I'll take the heat if something goes wrong, but I want other people to get the credit because that makes them feel good. And in the bigger picture of things, you're teaching them e-commerce, you're going to get more advocates and you're going to get more done. And that will kind of be a groundswell as you you know get closer to going to leadership meetings or board of director meetings. Todd, what you're talking about is, is honestly nothing to do with e-commerce. It's everything to do with influence and leadership. My chief customer officer, Nick, everything that you just described, he calls it bridges. And he feels like every department needs a bridge. It really creates collaboration and fosters influence. I just want to double tap into something you said earlier, because I think a lot of our listeners face this challenge. How do you budget for failure? You're honest about it. I was lucky enough to have, you know, bring a couple of clients into a very big meeting from a lot of the leadership of the team. Someone that I respected afterwards brought me over and said, you did a great job. Great work we don't know if what you're saying is correct or not. (laughs) You hold a lot of power. And I never, I never looked at it that way. Probably just thanks to my parents for a great upbringing, but you don't take the short win by misguiding or misleading anyone. Right. I think, I think if you're always honest about what's going on, you show yourself as a leader within the industry and you do have that or within the company, even you have that, you know, mindsets being changed you explain that it is going to be some failure and that's okay. You have to push the envelope. I remember a story just in college, you know, Wayne Gretzky, a hockey player, a bunch of people went to see him practice. He was falling down all over the ice and they said, you know, that was terrible. He's like, no, if I don't push myself, I'm not going to get better. So I think if you can get the mindset in with e-commerce, we're going to have some failures, but we're also going to have some successes and then show why something failed and how you're going to adjust and how you read it, you know, read and react the situation and apply a different way. I think that helps because then people respect that your perspective comes from a base of knowledge, but you're also not trying to pull a fast one necessarily. Listen, I mean, no one's perfect, but I have said, you know, sometimes e-commerce can be looked at like, you know, autonomous cars or self-driving cars where the, the standard seems to be perfection. I think in an organization, you just have to make sure ahead of time that you say there is going to be some failures, but here's how we're going to adjust. And I think if they look at you as a knowledge leader in the e-commerce space, that gives you some credit to do that. Yeah. And the fact that you speak their language certainly uh, plays plays an important role. Like 
My, my husband teaches uh, high school English. And one of the things that he, he constantly remarks is, you know, I'm constantly teaching 16 year olds, but I'm growing a year away from them every single year. And so staying relevant and all that other stuff, you know, becomes incredibly challenging when you're doing it. So making sure that you're speaking them in a language that they understand and making it relatable is important. Do you think that based on what you were just saying that some people, especially it's foreign to them, so they're not going to understand it nearly as well. After a year of COVID and massive jump in e-commerce, do you think that that's changed? Like, do you think that your interdependent colleagues are now more well-versed just because they've walked a mile in a consumer's shoes or is actually the knowledge of being a consumer more misleading in certain ways? Like how has the effect of actual adoption changed? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think within Simple Mills and even, you know, I'm on a lot of share groups and hearing from different companies, but I think my experience is, Yes, people gravitated towards e-commerce because they had to. And that's where the consumer is going. Again, if you follow the consumer, you had to learn or at least get familiar somewhat with e-commerce. We also looked at it from the buyer's point of view from our retail partners. It varies on where buyers, if they have you know, brick and mortar and e-commerce in one person or it separates. So we kind of let the buyers lead. But I think it's mixed where people understand the importance of e-commerce And it's helped that at Simple Mills last year, when you look at full year data, there was the COVID bump, you know, especially where essential category and cookies, crackers, baking mixes and bars. But then we had the Simple Mills bump and I can show them how that happened. We, you know, one, right when I got there and I got there in the middle of April, middle of COVID, I didn't have a normal 30, 60, 90, you know, observe, learn and, you know, make some suggestions, had to jump in. First thing was we have all this traffic that we may have never had before. So how do we get the content updated as fast as possible and show the importance of not confusing consumers and not just showing them a rotation of our box, but how, when, and why to use the product. Think about their experience, looking at the page for the first time, look at reviews, see what people are saying, both good and bad, and apply those to your content. So that was one thing Then we really had to show the importance of search and not just using branded terms, but expanding that in non-branded terms. And you can show then the impact of getting onto page one or just increasing the sales. So you could show here's the impact of search. And then I still think retargeting is underrated and said, Hey, we have all these opportunities, whether it was a competitor out of stock, whether it was just someone that may have looked at us one time and then was bouncing around so fast, or maybe we were out of stock. We, we didn't have much, but really wanted to get that second chance. So explained how important retargeting was made sure that we were responding to reviews in a productive way for you know, anyone that had a bad experience. So I think they see that there was specific steps that help us win e-commerce. And I look at Instacart. Again, following the consumer, we knew we had to get on Instacart. And we really just upped our game in terms of asking for more information, give Instacart credit for providing data that could unlock investment. And we kind of started small. You know, I, I like saying, instead of throwing money at a problem, you place your bets. Show the category first, small category. Here's what we can do with some money. Now let's expand it and go longer. Instead of a week or a couple of weeks, let's go a month. Now let's upgrade our, your agency talent with it. And as you start to see these wins, it was great. Every month we were like, oh, Instacart, new high record again, new all-time high. And so they saw that confidence. All that being said, I still think there are some in all companies that are waiting for the pre-COVID thing to come back. 
everyone's going to go back to the store. And it's just, again, if you follow the consumer, it's going, especially in grocery, it's going to be both. Like, that's why it's not about shift. It's about speed and satisfaction. So if you follow the consumer and know that they're going to maybe buy their everyday things online and get an automatic delivery, go to the store more for the experience or floral or bakery or whatever it may be, fine. Let's not get hung up on it. But we will just continue. My team and I, you know, Gina and Rini on my team, we will continue to read the cues and adapt and really be adjustable to all different kinds of perspectives and make sure people feel comfortable on their knowledge, on their understanding for those that uh, unlock the, the purse strings for the investment as well. Todd, do you see your competitive advantage against the big guys in your category as your internal speed? That's one. We have to add our size. We have to be nimble. I, I definitely think speed and, and ability, listen, less people on a team uh, means you don't have as many decision makers then, right? Or a smaller company. Um, you have more doers than deciders. So great. So we'll take that. But if you look at, you know, kind of, you know, doers and deciders, I think the other big one is data. And Rachel, I'll give you a shameless plug. But when I got there, I wanted to really amplify our first party data. How do we do that? Because I'm not saying we're, we even outside of the cookie issues, we're using the same data from Facebook and everyone else that our big competitors are as well. I wanted to get first party data so we could be unique with creating lookalike audiences or our own customer segments to really be nimble. I, instead of fishing in the giant ocean, give me a hundred niche barrels that we can fish out of and win there. So partnered with, with Micmac, uh, which not only for first party data, but then helps us with our social and with our retail partners. And that's been fantastic. But then also look for another great leader with Andagansta and Notch. And how do we get a better two-way street of communication on our D2C site and our consumers? Again, follow the consumer. So Notch allows us to do that but both Micmac and Notch allow us to acquire first-party data at a higher rate than just our D to C. And then we've made investments. Instead of making investments in promotions or you know, more short-term things that, again, maybe lead to a hangover versus a halo, I think the investments in really smart agency partners that can help you not only win your goals, but they can also help you internally right? They can, you know, during QBRs or during different meetings, they can help amplify the e-commerce message or the social commerce message, whatever it may be with your senior leaders or board of directors. And it's just a different voice, right? And they, and then questions get asked and it's great discussion. I'll give Rachel, one of your teammates, you know, Tim Wackman, incredible props. He has been fantastic from start to current to where we're at with meetings and getting us on board. That's important. Partners, that one care about their employees first, that are really smart and visionary, but then can also come help you internally. It's all about, like I said, advocates. So you can have internal ones, but now you have these external ones and it just builds your story so that you can accomplish what you need to, even if you don't know what that is potentially because you're reading and reacting more. But I think investing in great partners and data will help Simple Mills win against people with much bigger budgets. Appreciate you saying that. Now you just got to get our sister Sarah into your trifecta of shout outs. And then you're working with every badass female in the industry. Yes. Profit Tarot. When you look at kind of those insights to help you and Sarah does this and Mike Black and others at Profit Tarot, the data they provide, usually as an e-commerce leader, otherwise you have to, you, have a, you had a blind spot. It validates some things that you were trying to sell in internally. 
you know, one recently was just like the out of stock report and it's been out there for a while, but really showing the penalty of the out of stock. And I can say that one has helped internally at simple mills where people are like the algorithm is going to punish us if we don't have things in stock and it changes that mindset again. Right. So Profitero does a great job of that. If you just follow them on LinkedIn or Sarah or Mike, it helps amplify your message, spend more time learning than just scrolling through, you know, random things. And, and Profitero is a great one. Well, thanks for that. That's very kind of you. I, I speak the truth is what we do. Like it's, you, you have to be curious and learn. And, and while you want to find like your, your go-tos and ones that you can trust, you also have to expand your knowledge and look at the opposite side. I'm always so afraid of, I don't want to become complacent. We want to outcompete the competition. And so about once every couple of months, I just go find other people to follow just to change up my feed. So I get different perspectives. So definitely go to Profitero and everything we're doing. So Sarah, I feel like we've reached the point in the show where we, we need to really get to know Todd. Go for it. Todd, what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? I'm going to go personal on this one. A number of years ago, I was uh, a different company. I was at a work meeting and it just so happened. I ended up being about three hours away from someone that I knew I needed to talk to. And this person is literally an American hero, was a Vietnam veteran. He was in the 11th Armored Cavalry. He was really a machine gunner on a tank. Then after that, thankfully he survived, came back to the States, spent 30 years in the Chicago police force, 25 as a detective in counterterrorism. And I had to go talk to this guy to discuss a pretty serious matter. So, and he didn't know I was coming. I didn't know how he would react to what I was going to say. And so as I'm driving down, I'm practicing. Just all, I probably went through, you know, 50 different ways of how to say this and how to bring it up and what to do if he reacts in a, in a way I'm not expecting or, you know, or wouldn't want to look at and got there, got to uh, kind of had a sit down in essence with them at a public place. And I pulled out a document and showed him a picture of a ring. And uh, I asked him for his daughter's hand in marriage. And I just felt people don't do that nowadays. And even back then, this guy, though, and sadly, he has passed, but he's an American hero. I didn't have to do it. I could have found 10 excuses why not to do it. And it would have been fine. But he deserved that respect. But I didn't know what he, you know, if he would say yes or not. Uh, so it could, have, it could have been a really long ride back. But um, he did say yes. He promised to keep it quiet. I said, I'm not going to tell you the exact date. I want your wife and, and you know, your daughter, my future fiance wife here to really be surprised. Um, but just don't say anything until it happens. And then, and then we can share this story. You know, like I said, this, this guy is just a hero uh, to me and to so many people. He's a retired colonel. He was known as grandpa loud guy can imagine kind of the fear in case this went the wrong direction, but um, it was worth it. And not only because I'm going to you know, be nine years with my wife here soon, but he respected that story. He told so many people he didn't need to do that. None of my friends, like their son-in-laws did it. And, and he's not one like to go tell, you know, fun stories. You know, it, it's it, for him to say that and, and really mean it ended up being the bravest thing I ever did. That's really beautiful. You know, Sometimes old school is the way to go. I think that kind of brings it all full circle. You know, there's a lot of stuff that are timeless fundamentals that are completely important and no matter what, and just because you don't have to do it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Classy move, dude. Not just brave, but classy. So beautiful. Thank you very much for joining us, Todd. Thanks for sharing, teaching all of us 
how to be better teachers. No, thank you for this opportunity. And I promise if you send me Profitero and Micmac swag, I will send over Simple Mills swag and product to you guys as well. I already have it in my pantry, but we'll take more. <laughs> Ditto. Love hearing that. Thank you so much. A- anybody who makes kosher food is in my pantry. That's us. <laughs> thank you very much for doing that. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.